As we begin, uh, notes are in your bulletin. I encourage you to grab those. If you got your Bible, go ahead and kind of get your get to Judges. Uh, uh, if you don't have it, it'll, it's in your notes and uh, it's uh, be on the screen as well. Uh, I said last week, I think this is perhaps one of the most important one uh, of the this series that I didn't want you to miss. Um, and if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to it, because last week really sets the foundation for where we're going uh, this morning. You can do that at awakeningchurch.com. Uh, but we're in this little three-part series, taking a break from the Gospel of Mark for just three weeks to look at this. Uh, for some, it's really obscure. You've never heard of this guy named Gideon. For others, you grew up in the church and you've uh, maybe had Sunday school flannel graphs of this guy named Gideon. Um, uh, but we're asking what I, I think is a really important question. Uh, it's, it's a question that speaks to the tension that we so often feel in life. Am I really living the life I'm made to live? A- am I really living the life that I'm made, am I, that I'm designed to live? A- am I really made to, you know, work at this job for this amount of years and then finally retire and go off to pasture? Am I really made to clean poopy diapers, you know? I mean, am I really made, am I really living the life I'm made to live. And if we're honest, many of us live with this tension in our life of, of where we're at and the life where we think we should be. And we don't even know probably a lot of times what that is. We just know there's a tension internally in our soul that there is this, I, am I really living it? I don't know what that is, in fact, but I I don't know if I'm really living the life I am made to live. If there really is just one life to live, and I, you know, some of you may believe in certain things, different things. You may believe in reincarnation. I don't know all about that, but but that's even a more important question if you do believe in that philosophy, because if you're not living the life you're made to live, you might come back as a bug or something. I don't know. I don't know how all that works, but as a Christian, we believe, okay, we've got one life to live right here, right now, am I really living the life I am made, that I am designed to live? Uh, And that's the tension when we get to the book of Judges uh, that that we see. Uh, The book of Judges is this incredible book, and, and it's fascinating to study. I mean, some of the weirdest stuff you'll ever read is in the book of Judges. I encourage you. I mean, that's why you should read your Bibles, because it's like, whoa, I can't believe this is in the Bible. Uh, but I mean, this is the book of Judges. You find it, uh, if you don't know the history, we covered it a little bit last week, but uh, what happens is the nation of Israel is in bondage and in slavery in Egypt. Moses come, let my people go, right? You know, and, and he delivers the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. Then he passes the baton on to this guy named Joshua. Joshua helps them settle the promised land. And then that from the time post-Joshua to the time about 310 years later to when Israel has their first king is what the time frame for this book, the book of Judges. And the people of Israel are wrestling with this 
tension. Because here's what you need to know about the people of Israel. Israel was made to be a nation that would be a blessing to all other nations, to be a light to the Gentiles. They're made literally to be a theocracy. They're made to not have a king, but God to be their king and have laws that would govern them and then judges that would mediate between them. They were made, they were made to live so differently. Think about this, live so differently that the surrounding nations would see how good it is to follow the one true God and turn to him. That's their design. And yet, here's the problem. Here's the tragic part about the book of Judges. You'll see it has this cycle over and over and over again. And this is what happens is the people stray away from God to be like the people around them. Instead of looking up and following God, they look around and go, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? And then God says, you know what? I'll let you experience the consequences of your choices. They experience the pain, the heartache, And then eventually it gets so bad that they go, God help, and he delivers, and he sends a judge to deliver. And you see that cycle where they do their own thing, God lets them get their own consequences, and then they cry out, God help, and then he comes and delivers. And one of those delivers is a guy named Gideon who didn't know and wasn't living the life he was made to live, and God calls him out and says, hey, guess what? I've made you for so much more than where you're currently at and what you're currently doing. Now, why is it then, if we're asking this question, why is it so few people seem to really live the life they're made to live? Think about it. I I mean, if, if if it's really true that every single one of us, and you may not have phrased it the way I phrased it, but you have that internal longing, that, that dissonance, that tension internally. Am I really living the life I'm made to live? Why is it, if we're asking this question as people, as humans, why is it so few people really step in and experience the life they were made to live? And and that's why I think this morning's so important. In fact, if you're willing, I I believe God really wants to speak to you. I I think he wants to do some business here. And I I know that's, uh, if you're, wherever you're at on the scope, whether you know Jesus, I think he's got some things for you. And if you don't know Jesus, I think there's some questions to wrestle with. And so in light of that, before we dive into the text, let me pray for us because I think where we're going is something is what I'd call the missing link so oftentimes for us uh, in living the life we're made to live. And I, and I just, I, I am inadequate to communicate it. And so let's just ask God to have his way because I really believe God wants to do some things in you and in me this morning that only he can do. Jesus, thanks so much for this time together. We invite you here and ask you to speak, God. I I can't communicate what you need to communicate. And so would you speak and would you have your way? And God, would you give us a sensitivity and a responsiveness to you and to your word and that we'd become more like you, that we would be a people, this community would be a people that live lives that you made us to live. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
I think the number one reason why people don't live, why we don't live the life we're made to live is there's a prerequisite. You know, like a prereq you have in college, remember that? Uh, a prereq, you have to take this course first before you get there, or, you know, maybe you're going on to the nursing or do your doctoral. You have to have all these prereqs that you have to do before you get here. We often miss this step that there is a prereq in living the life you're made to live. Before you get there, and God's already spoken, if we know the context of last week, God's already told Gideon, wouldn't that be so nice if God came up and told you what you're made to do? God told Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. You're made to be a mighty warrior. But he doesn't step immediately into mighty warrior. There was a prereq, there was a prerequisite for what he had to do before he stepped into being who he was made to be. And if he missed it, he would never, ever fulfill who he was made to be. See, we often just jump and go, well, all the way out there. And God's going, no, no, no. There is a prerequisite. Uh, the prerequisite, uh, and, and this is the question, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you maybe not even religious, here's what I want you just to wrestle with. And it's not even all that churchy, and so you can go, okay, okay I, can, I can wrestle with that. And then I'm going to get some real specific for those of us who are followers of Jesus. The prerequisite for living the life you were made to live is in rightly, notice rightly, answering the question, what was I made for? It's in rightly. And so, so if you're here and you're not really sure about the whole God thing, that's okay. But, but here's what I know. The prerequisite for living the life you're made to be is, is in rightly answering the question, what is it that I am made for? Because here's what we all know to be true, because we've looked around at life, we see it all around us. Here's what we know to be true. That, that you can spend and build a lifetime of victories, and yet still end in defeat, can't you? We've seen this. We've seen this with highly successful, famous people, and we said maybe, maybe living the life I'm made to live is to get famous or to have a lot of stuff, and, and here's what I know, and here's just if you're here and you're not really sure about the whole God thing, here's what I want you to wrestle with. What am I made for really? Because you can spend your lifetime building and accumulating all these victories, and yet... It can end in defeat. Now, as Christians, we have an answer for what is it I'm made for. Our answer for when we talk about it, and so I just want to talk, so it, this isn't an answer for, you know, if you don't believe in the whole thing, that's okay, but this is an answer for us. We believe, Scripture tells us, that we were made for God, that we were made by God, and then that our definition of who we are is wrapped up and who we're made for is, is God. So we're made to know God in real simple terms and to make him known. That ultimately is who we're made to be. When we ask that question, what is it I'm made for? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we rightly answer that question according to, to what we say we believe, is that I am fundamentally made for God. 
I am fundamentally made to know and have a life-giving relationship with the God of the universe. And I am made to make him known. And then there's your unique way in how you go about that with your, your design. So when we answer that, that's, that's our question. But here's the, here's the prereq for us. And we'll dive into the text right here because we see it for Gideon, the prereq before he dived into who he is made to be. Verse 25 of chapter 6. That same night the Lord said to him, so he just had this God moment, this life-changing encounter with God, and now God comes back and, and says, hey, we, we got to do some business. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, that means mature, strong bull. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Now, verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the men of his town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Now, now, this seems a little obscure when we're t- starting to talk about this. What is it I'm made for? And what happened this whole pre-wreck thing? See, this is the fertile soil of what God had to do in Gideon before he could do anything through Gideon. It's the often missing place, I I just got to be honest, for us as followers of Jesus. If you want to know why you are not experiencing the the intimate life with Jesus, I I think you can discover it right here in this text. If you want to know why why the Christian life isn't as vivid and you're not experiencing his presence and his power, I I believe the answer is right here in this text. And if you want to live the life that you believe you're made for and the one God's calling you to is start right here. Now, here's, here's the thing. I, I know we don't talk about idols a whole lot, and we kind of think of that as this kind of archaic, ancient thing. And, and if you look at the idols here, they're, they're really interesting. And I could do a whole, like, study. I did a whole big, I have a whole sheet of study on Baal, and that's how you say it, Baal. You want to say that? Baal. There you go. And the Asherah pole. Now, Baal was the local deity of the Amorites, the ones who were oppressing Israel. Uh, This is their governing deity. And so Israel's sin wasn't that they denied God, but that they kept God and they brought in the local deities as well. Their their sin was they had syncretism. They said, okay, we're going to follow God, but then now we want, you know, the local deities as well. Baal was was the god of... um, fertility, the God of agriculture, and the God of war. And so this was a God that was very vicious, and so uh, would go to war. This was a God that, that uh, I mean, really kind of bizarre. They have all these, like, things where every uh, fall he died, and every spring they had tried to raise him back to life, and so they would throw these massive orgies uh, in, the, in this uh, religion to somehow awaken Baal so that they would then get the rain of the crops. The, the Asherah pole was, uh, we don't know exactly what it was, but most scholars believe that it was exaggerated um, uh, uh, sexual parts, I guess is the best way to say it. 
This, this religion celebrated sensuality and pleasure and at the same time lived in fear of appeasing the gods and they literally would sacrifice their firstborn human sacrifice. Now, this was central to life. This is the way the community operated. This is just what everyone's doing around Gideon. And he says, listen, if you want to step in to the life I've made you to be, the mighty warrior you've made to be, you've got to take care of the idols in your own home. You know, notice, notice, by the way, yeah, you know where, whose idols they were? Yeah, help me out, I didn't study this part. Yeah, his home, his father's. This is, this is his. They're a well-known family that they built the whole shrine. And I think this is interesting. I'll hit on kind of unpack because it, it translates to our context. We still have idols to today. We just are more sophisticated in them. And in fact, I think the idols that we can't see are much more deceptive than the ones that we can see. But notice that God wasn't calling Gideon to take care of everybody else's idols, but his own. And I think that's one of the things. We kind of feel good about ourselves. Like we point out everybody else's stuff. And God wants this morning, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, he says, do not look to the side. Don't think about the person who needs to hear this. God wants to speak to you and for you to do business with him. The idols here uh, is whatever you're looking for, if we translate it to a modern context, to bring you freedom and fulfillment. That is what controls you. That is your God. Whatever you're looking for to bring freedom, release, whatever you're looking for to bring fulfillment or to satisfy, Here's what, I, here's what I know. Whether you're religious or non-religious, all of us are searching for something to satisfy us. And we're looking for that someone or that something, and we're just hoping that relationship is it. We're hoping that job is it. We're hoping, you know, financial independence is it. We're hoping if we get that higher education, that's it. I, modern day idols, I think the number one in our area is our career, is work. As somehow that is the thing that's going to finally give you freedom, somehow going to finally fulfill you, make you a somebody. Maybe it's, uh, I, I've heard this a lot, uh, and I think people, especially because of how expensive it is, is we begin to think that somehow having a home or owning a home will somehow finally fulfill or finally satisfy success, pleasure. And you're caught up in a world where you are all about self-gratification and you know that it doesn't fully satisfy, but you give into it because it does for a moment and then it fleets. Maybe it's family. You know the one that God's been doing business in my heart on is somehow trying to have others approve of me and this level of achievement. And 
I've just been looking at, at how what drives me, and, it can, and this is the funny part, isn't it? Because it can look religious or good on the outside, but it's so important what's happening on the inside. Maybe it's perfectionism. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's your intellect. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's stuff. Whatever you're looking for or looking to to bring freedom And here's what I know. It's just a human condition. We're all looking for something to fully satisfy us. Theologians long have called it the God-shaped hole in our soul. That there's something in us that's never fully satisfied. And I would suggest that it will never fully be satisfied until it is filled with Jesus. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's because here's the thing. Listen, what Israel wasn't guilty of was running away from their God. What Israel was guilty of, which caused them not to be who God made them to be, and Gideon guilty of, which caused him to be and not step into who he made them to be, wasn't saying, I'm not a follower of Yahweh. It was, I'm a follower of Yahweh and. And we live in a culture of and. We live among Christians of and and plus. I have God plus this. And if we're really honest In the deep crevice of our soul, we would say something like this. If I'm honest, there's something in me that's not satisfied with God. Tim Keller says it this way, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I remember uh, the first time I became aware of this, uh, and it was in college, and I know we got some college students here, and I I was dating my soon-to-be, not soon-to-be, but in a couple years, wife, Jenny, and she was in Sweden, and I was in Chicago, and it was this awesome time to, like, we're dating, but what happened was I, I began to become fully and utterly consumed with this amazing, beautiful Swede, you know? I, I was just like, whoa, you know? And we're not even in the same town, and I mean, I got made fun of because guys, guys were like, yeah, right, you have a made-up girlfriend. I'm like, no, she's real. I'm like, no, that picture's from a magazine. No, she's just that pretty, you know? I mean, I had all of that. She is real, by the way. Um, and, and there be- arose a tension in my soul. And for a matter of months, I wrestled with God. Because what happens in our hearts as followers of Jesus is it's not bad things that take over our life. It's a good thing that we raise to an ultimate thing. It's a good thing that we put in the place of a God thing. And that's what happens. And that's what I did. I took a good thing and a great person and Jenny. And it wasn't that I turned my back on God. No, I just put her in the place of God. I said, I'll... She's my all-consuming focus and passion and purpose and God, it's nice to have you and I just want you around to make my life work, if I'm honest, okay? (laughs) 
I want her. And I had this wrestling and this tension inside of me, and I, I mean, it was like I couldn't sleep, and I felt like God was like, man, I, am I supposed to break up with Jenny? And I'm like, this is the girl of my dreams. I mean, I don't think another girl like her would ever want me. I can't believe she does, you know? I'm like, wow. And I remember I got done playing drums at my church that I went to in downtown Chicago, and I didn't have a ride home, and I'm walking, and it's a few miles, uh, walking back to my campus, and I was like a crazy man, okay? I mean, I, and we have lots of them in Chicago, so I fit in. But I mean, I'm walking down the street, and I'm like talking to myself and crying and going, God, I don't know why. I mean, literally, down the street, you know, because I was so distraught and so broken. And finally, finally on that walk, halfway there, I said, God, I give. If you want me to break up with Jenny, I will. Because I can't live this way, and I, I want you more than I want her. And I remember, it was like, the, I don't know how you explain it, but like the still, small voice of God. It was, it was just clear as day. He said, Ryan, I don't want you to break up with her. I just want, instead of you living life like this, to live life like this. See, when you grip it, it means I can't have a hold of your heart. And when you hold it like this, it's not that you need to get rid of things. You just need to say, God, have your way. I mean, God's had to do that in us with our kids because we had kids and all of a sudden we gripped it tight on this is our kids and circumstances and pain realized we can't control God, they're your kids. See, an idol is anything in your life that you're holding like this. What is it? What is it in your life that you're holding like this? And you need to go, and it's scary. It's scary to go like this. Um, for me, it was one of those things. I remember just this clear as day. Uh, it was one of those, God said, no, no, no. If you break up with Jenny, you're just going to put something else in her place. You need to put me on the throne and dethrone her. Okay. Did you notice that I highlighted those words in your text? The call for Gideon, tear down. You have to tear down the old before you build the new. And that is the call this morning. This is the prerequisite for those of us who are followers of Jesus. If you want to have a life of impact, if you want to step into the life you're made for, there is a tearing down. There cannot be God plus God, and there needs to be this reality. You're God, you're holy, I'm made for you, and all that I am, open-handed, is yours. Have your way. It's a scary thing to release into the hands of God the identity you've spent a lifetime building. What is it for you? Where you'd have that honest confession, that honest conversation with God. Honestly, God, there's something in me that's not fully satisfied with you and so I keep adding to it. And you tear down, it's just repent. Just go, God, okay, I'm going to open my hands.
anything, anything that you're holding tightly, would you identify it right now? You might want to write it down. Now here's, I, I don't want you to miss Here's what I don't want you to miss. Gideon does this, and his greatest fear comes to reality. Okay? We live in a world that if you do what God says, then everything's going to work out right. Did you notice his fear? His fear was, I'm afraid that my family and the men are going to hate me. I'm afraid that that my friends aren't going to like me. I'm afraid that this decision, if I really let go, if I do this, then my roommates, my school, this is just, this is how business is done, Ingram. This is what it looks like in my industry. This is how you have to act to get this grade. And I just want you to see his greatest fear came into reality. He said, in the morning, the men of the town got up, and there the Baal altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? I love this. They carefully investigated. I found out to get in. Here's Here's what they said. Bring out your son. He must die. I recently, and I'll, I'll share this story quickly because I want to get to the end. This is important. But recently I saw someone that fell down. It was an older lady, and I was in a lane, and I went to pull over to help, and this car hit me. And I was just like, oh, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I get hit by a car. And then I couldn't even help the lady because this, the gal in the car is like yelling at me. And I'm like, yeah, you see this old lady like lying in the middle of the street? And anyway, I, I had to pull over and deal with this lady. I'm like, oh my goodness. I was on the way to play basketball. It made me late for basketball, which is even worse. I love basketball. <laughs> but I told my kids this story, and here's the reason why. I, I, I want them to know that it's more important to do the right thing than for everything to work out right. I want them to know that it's more important to do the right thing even when things don't work out right. And some of you are holding God at bay and going, if I do this, then you do all this. And he says, no, 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 no. Being who you're made to be is saying, God, have all of me. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow you come hell or high water. I'd rather do the right thing than have everything work out right. I'd rather know in my soul that I did that than to have passed by and done nothing and nothing bad happened. And always wonder in my heart. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says, if you're never standing out then, and you're always blending in, then you're not actually following Jesus. Not saying that you stand out and be a jerk. Not saying that you go out of your way. There's just things that when you go, okay, I am going to no longer live for my career to fulfill and satisfy me. That means that I'm going to prioritize God. I'm going to live with a priority where God is first first most, families next, careers down here. That means, you know what? Hey, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, I'm going home. That means, hey, I, I love it, but I, I'm, I can't do these weekend things. 
If you're not willing to hurt or sacrifice your career in order to do God's will, then that has become an idol in your life. If you're not willing to hurt or sacrifice your reputation, then that has become an idol. If you're not willing to hurt or sacrifice finances. Now the end result's important. Check this out. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd, this is Gideon's dad. (laughs) I love it. I mean, it's so bad his dad had to step up for him. Talk about an embarrassing moment, you know. He's going like, gosh. He said, are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death in the morning. Basically, if Baal's really a god, he can defend himself and someone breaks down his altar, saying, "Let, let this false idol prove himself as worthy. So that day, they called Gideon Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down the altar. Now, scholars have discussed this, and they're on opposite sides. Some think this is a derogatory name, and others think this is his victor name. The end result for Gideon, and this is so important, don't miss this. The end result for Gideon was he now had moral authority to lead the people of Israel. God called him mighty warrior. God called him to save the people of Israel from the oppression of the Amorites, which was ravaging their land. They couldn't live in their own cities. They were taken away. They're living in the mountain clefts. And God says, this is what I've called you to do. And if you don't do this, no one will follow you. And in this moment, In this courageous act, even though his worst fears came to reality, it's what gave him moral authority to say, let's go, because he cleaned his house first. See, I I just wonder if the reason we're not having as much of an impact in our school, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, is could it be... We don't have the moral authority. I, I loved um, this quote. I was recently with this group that of really bright people. It's always fun to be the dumbest person in the room. Um, this one man had spent a great deal of time with this uh, philosopher, uh, uh, Dallas Willard, who's written great, great books. If you don't know him, a giant. He uh, died, I believe it was this last year. And Dallas Willard has all these quotes that are just so powerful and like mind-boggling. And this guy who spent a lot of time with him had this saying about it. His authority from his teaching came from the life he lived. Oh my gosh. And I just began to wrestle with that myself. Your authority to step into the life God has made you to live starts internally starts with are you going to do business with God a life of influence a life of impact because of a single moment for Gideon where he said I'm going to clean house so as we close this is just one of those spiritual principles you've heard me say God will always do a significant work in you before he will do a great work through you.
I believe in this moment that for many, there is a significant work that God wants you to do. There is a releasing of the hands of some things you've tightly gripped that you need to go, okay, God, this is yours. I've been reading or just had this on my brain. It's at the front of my journal. This is one of the phrases that I've just kept. I want to keep in front of me. This is part of how I am going about building back up. Is this phrase Joshua said to the people of Israel before they went into this whole time of judges. He said, choose this day who you will serve. And he makes this proclamation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, listen, here's the question. Who or what are you serving? What would it look like in your life to put God at the very center of it? To allow everything to revolve and orbit around him. For some, your family, you're orbiting around your family. For some, it's your school, you're orbiting around your school. And God's one of the things orbiting with you. And for others, it's your work, and you're orbiting around your work. And I want you to ask, okay, today, as for me, not for anyone else, as for me, as for me, in my house, I'm going to orbit around God, because I was made by him, and I was made for him, and here's what I know. Here's what we all know to be true. You can spend a lifetime amassing victories in that industry, in that area, and yet still end in defeat, and I would challenge you to live the life you're made for. You're made by him and for him to know him. And would you go, I'm going to orbit around him. Um, Ban, why don't you guys come on up. And here's what I want to do. And if you'd go ahead and turn the light down, down in here. And as soon as you get your guitar on or something, play, play some music. I want to give you space to do business with God. I, I have no doubt that this is... This is one of the things that confronts some of your securities and your identity and things that you've been living for. And some of the fears is God's going to take that person away. Maybe, maybe not. God's going to take that job away. Maybe, maybe not. But, but you just have to get to the point where, God, I want you, no matter what, to live the life you're made for. You're made for God. That's the starting point. If you do not know Jesus, I, I would just, I would encourage you. Every one of us has this God-shaped hole that can only be filled by Jesus. And you can put your work, and you can put your finances, and you can put relationships, and it will fill, but it will not completely fill, and you will be building and amassing victories that 
one day end in defeat. And I would invite you to the feet of Jesus who loves you, who died for you, and it is simply saying, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the son of God. You lived a perfect life, died in my place, rose again that I might have life. Come and fill the whole of my life. And you might need to do that, and you're a Christian, because you've just been putting other stuff in your life. And I just want to do this, and this is kind of a full community. If you're here, and you want to kind of tear down, and this is the tearing down moment, and maybe it's your family, and you realize, I need to release the grip of my family. Maybe it's your work, that you're ready to go, okay, I'm ready to, this is the prereq work, the do not pass go work. Would you stand and just stand up and go, okay, God, it's a little uncomfortable, and I know there's people around, but I'm going to stand up because it's more important of me doing business with you than what other people think about me. And would you stand, if you're here, and you're just going, okay, today I'm going to release the grip of maybe it's my finances. Maybe it's my, that relationship that I'm in. Come on, no, nobody? I'm standing alone. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I sorry. I don't mean to be so blunt. You don't have to all stand. Don't stand if you don't feel like you're ready. Please do not stand. I didn't mean to give anybody guilt, but I'm like, I, I can't be alone after this. And would you just do this? Would you put your hands out in front of you? And just simply say, God, I'm all yours. God, would you fill the places of my soul that I'm trying to fill with other things? And you just take that, what you know clearly, what God's shown you. And you make a commitment to him. This is what you're going to do today. And you share it with someone. Do not stay private with this. And you share it with someone. You say, this is what God's doing in me. And this is, this is the direction I need to go. That's why community is so important. God, thank you for these men and women who have stood. Who are in the tearing down process with me. God, would you give them the wisdom to know what to do? and the great courage this week to step into a life centered fully around you.